Maccarone, di fronte a Frisano, Maccarone! E c'è il gol di Maccarone! This goal was scored by Massimo Maccarone in the 2011-2012 Serie B relegation playoffs in the final minute of the match against Vicenza to secure a 3-2 victory following a 0-0 first leg. This came moments after Dostena denied Paolucci's hat-trick after saving his penalty in the final moment, so a lot of drama over there. This season it was Pescara who gained promotion to Serie A, with a certain Ciro Immobile bagging 28 goals and Lorenzo Insigne bagging 18. Nicknamed Big Mac, Maccarone was a former striker who started his career at Milan. Standing at 5'11", he wasn't the tallest striker in the world, but he possessed great strength and speed and could also strike the ball from a distance well. He is considered a cult hero amongst Middlesbrough and Empoli fans. He only played 80 games for Middlesbrough and only scored 18 goals, however he scored against Basel in the second leg of the quarter-final in a tie in which Middlesbrough overturned a three-goal deficit to win 4-3 on aggregate. In the semi-final of the same competition, he came on as a substitute and scored twice in the aggregate 4-3 win over Stau Bucharest, scoring one of Middlesbrough FC's most iconic goals of all time, once again in the 90th minute, taking Borough to the final in Eindhoven, in which he came on as a substitute, eventually finishing runners-up in the competition. Following his exploits in the semi-final, fellow Middlesbrough striker Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank declared, Massimo, I love him until I die, it's unbelievable. Big Mac has 272 games and 104 goals for Empoli. In 1994, Maccarone was working part-time selling fruit. He was desperate to watch Italy in the World Cup final, so he deliberately got sacked by destroying a crate of melons. I'm not ashamed of it, he said. I wanted to watch the game. He also infamously sipped a beer after scoring versus Bologna once granting him a place in the Serie A Spotlight Hall of Fame. Big Mac, the streets will never forget. So, hello and welcome to episode 15 of Serie A Spotlight. We're your hosts, Matt. And the Oracle. Shut the fuck up, man. You lost again, man. Three in a row. Three in a row. For um, those of you who don't know, we have started a prediction series. You can find that on our Instagram and Twitter, at Serie A Spotlight. And I have won 7-5, third time in a row. Three in a row. I'm kind of feeling like Salernitana right now. So, not a great feeling at all. Salernitana got one point this week, bro. They did get one point. None of us predicted that, though, so I don't mm. know why you're seeming a little bit because cocky about three it. Nil, bro. We're 3-0, but you also always start beating me 3-0 in FIFA, and I always end up beating you, bro. Always, always, always. So we'll see about that, man. We'll see, we'll see. We'll have it live here on recording. I will get you back, brother. Next week is mine. <laughs> Next week, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Jesus Christ, yes. So me. Yeah, because there's games Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday this week. So probably a lot of fatigue, a lot of injuries. So Milan will be half a squad again. So without further ado, let's get to the first big game of the week. This was Napoli against Lazio at the Maradona Stadium. <laughs> it ended 4-0 to the hosts Sarri returned to Napoli where he had failed to win five times in a row as an opponent since leaving about two years prior now Napoli had just come away from their first two losses of the season to Inter and Spartak Moscow in the Europa League so they came out with a point to prove over here hence the massive scoreline now Napoli are 18 games unbeaten at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona where they wear their Diego Armando Maradona kits, 
watched on by the newly unveiled Diego Armando Maradona statue where an entire generation of people named Diego Armando and Maradona cheered them on. A couple of Mareks as well and yeah, Dreeses, everything. <laughs> yeah, and Hervings, definitely <laughs> not. So speaking of, in the seventh minute, Lozano's pass was intercepted but found its way to Mertens in the area who drove into the box but his efforts were in vain as the ball fell loosely to Peter Zielinski who fired home, beating Pepe Reina. In the 10th minute, just 3 minutes later, a nice move by Insigne on the left led to the Napoli captain playing the ball to Mertens, who dropped his shoulder just outside the box to beat Acerbi, faked a shot to beat Patrick, stepped inside onto his right foot and curled the ball in, a real peach of a goal. Um, later on there were chances missed by Immobile, Luis Alberto and Acerbi, um, Acerbi particularly hitting the crossbar. In the 29th minute, Mertens scored another lovely goal, converting a Lozano pass from just outside the area, dinking it over Reina. Now, here I have to address that Mertens' celebration is just straight up weird. <laughs> it's always freaked me out. I don't know what he's doing. His tongue comes out. He's wiggling it. <laughs> he's humping like he's really weird looking. It's, it just gives me the creeps. Like. Um, Lazio had Reina to thank that it stayed 3-0 for as long as it did because Napoli could have really blown that scoreline up. Um, in the last 15 minutes, Napoli took their foot off the gas and started messing with Lazio. There were Oles and all that. Um, and in the 85th minute, Fabian Ruiz got the fourth with a gorgeous 25-yard strike. A classic Fabian Ruiz goal. What a goal that was. Now, Matt, um, we had our doubts about whether Mertens would be able to fill in Ozyman's big boots. Mm-hmm. Um, Napoli fans, of course, never doubted him. They love him. They believe in him. You can see the love and the kind of special relationship they have. Um, with each other you could see it he kind of has these moments of magic doesn't he do you think it's sustainable I think it is sustainable I think one point I made in particular on the last episode was Mertens just needs to get going I think once he finds his groove and once he finds his form then he is one of the best strikers to have up front in the league despite his age I think he's still got pace to him. I still think he's got technical ability to him. I think he plays really well with Insignia as well. Mm -hmm. We saw that even particularly in the goals that you mentioned right now. So I think it's sustainable. I think the potential injuries coming up to him are not that sustainable. But that's when they have big boy Petania to come on as well. Yeah, quite quite a diverse duo there. Um, 10 away games with one win for Lazio, bro. Um, They're lost... Away win coming in August 3-1 mm-hmm. to Empoli What's going on with Lazio man? They can't handle pressure bro Napoli cannot handle pressure Whether Lazio, it's Lazio, right? Sorry Lazio can't yeah. handle pressure Whether it's You know Mental pressure So You know their fans are demanding a lot Or their coach is demanding a lot Or or be it pressure on the pitch Be it Napoli playing with a high defensive line And, and you know Going 100% into their tackles It doesn't seem like Lazio can really give a fight to these teams. Yeah, um, especially not to Napoli, who they hadn't beaten away since 2015 in a 4-2 win. Jesus. And that makes those 1.75 odds look even tasty. <laughs> right? Now, it, it was crazy. Everyone from Osp- Ospina to Meret played well this game. The entire Napoli team was lit. They all played insanely well. Uh, from Lazio, I would say Alcerbi had a decent game. Maybe Reina too. Um, Reina had some decent saves, but yeah. I think what we're trying to do here is make Lazio fans happy. Yeah. I don't think Lazio fans should be happy. And <laughs> I think the last time Lazio fans would have been happy was on match day nine when they beat Inter. But other than that, 
they haven't had much to cheer about yeah, this they, season. They won the derby. Oh, they Capitale won the derby della Capitale as well. They've You're right over there. But as Sarri said in the post-match interview, he said the team had made some progress. But every four or five games, one like this occurs. Now, he's probably referring to the Bologna one, the Verona one, yeah. the Napoli one, not to mention doing nothing against Juve and Milan too. Yeah. Um, he said, it's not possible to go from 10 to 1. We play every three days, but that shouldn't be an excuse. Well, we've we've mentioned the lack of options they have off the bench quite significantly. But yeah. I think aside from that, I don't think Sarri has the players he would want to have in the team. I don't think the players suit the system that Sarri is used to playing. What do you think is missing? I think uh, an attacking centrocampista would be would be missing. Someone a bit more direct towards goal. I think good defenders, aside from Acerbi, mm-hmm. is totally missing over there as well. And I think it's just a lack of all-round quality. I think yeah. it obviously takes time for Sarri Ball to come into play. But when it comes to technically gifted players, I think aside from fucking Pedro, Luis Alberto, Milinkovic Savic, and Immobile. Philip Anderson, maybe. Philip Anderson, maybe, but he's a very different style of player. He's he's a he's a tricky little skillful guy, not really a systematic player that you know he 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 can't turn Philip Anderson to what he turned Insigne into into that kind of team player maybe not I think the the main thing that's missing from from this team is the classic Sarri Regista Mm. you know typically he had like Jorginho he had Jorginho in Chelsea and Napoli was perfect for him but Cataldi isn't the guy Lucas Leiva isn't the guy absolutely maybe that needs to be addressed more than anything else yeah. Um, speaking of Philip Anderson, he was actually singled out by Sarri. He said that he has high highs and low lows. He is a delicate object. He said we are trying to help him, but it's tough. Oh my yeah. God, man! I I don't get. I think it's the older generation of managers that enjoy throwing their players under the bus. Maybe, yeah. Um, I don't know about how it's throwing him under the bus per se. More like, I guess, addressing the obvious because everyone knows that he's not having a a great time. You know, Philip Anderson, especially as of late. So maybe he's just saying we know about it and we're dealing with it. Yeah, but what does that do to his mental health? I don't know what his mental health now, man. <laughs> no, but it's true. If if you're having a tough time on the pitch, let the manager speak to you and then defend you in front of the public. Yeah. All right, the fans do need some clarity, but you know he could mask it up in that professional way, saying, "Yeah, my players sometimes play well and sometimes they don't." You know. Make it general. Don't don't yeah, fucking but, but single out your players. But it's always been the way that Philip Anderson has been as a player, to be honest. Be it at at West Ham, be it before at Lazio, he's always had streaks of great form, and then just disappears right after. That's true, and uh, to be honest, that's the only real area where where they have some options because they could bring on Zakani as well, who's who's a good player. He just hasn't gotten going yet for Lazio. But Zakani's on the on the other side, of course. Zakani plays on both sides, so we've we've right. seen him. We've seen well. We've seen Philip Anderson and Pedro swapping sides yeah. as well, so they're quite versatile in that area at yeah, least. They are, they are, they are to be honest. So Napoli are three points clear in first. Lazio are in eighth with twenty one points, seven points of Atalanta in that fourth CL spot. The next game was played between Milan and Sassuolo at the San Siro Stadium. The battle between Pioli and Dionisi for the first time this season. So Milan were coming off their first loss of the season to Fiorentina, as well as a midweek victory in Madrid against Atletico. So two very contradicting scorelines over there. 
Injuries meant that they saw Florenzi starting at right back, Romagnoli at centre back with the captain's armband around him and Bakayoko and Benasser forming somewhat of a midfield duo. Although Mike Mannion did start the match for the first time since the beginning of October after recovering from his wrist injury. Sassuolo on the other hand coming off a disappointing 2-2 home draw to Cagliari, a 3-2 away loss to Udinese and a 2-1 home loss to Empoli with only 4 wins in 13 matches. They still missed Juricic and Boga, but were otherwise unaffected after Frattesi's appeal was successful which saw him start the match. So in the 21st minute things were hopeful after a short free kick by Ibrahim Soteo whooped the ball into the near post which met Romagnoli's head and into the back of the net. Consigli got a touch to it but didn't manage to keep it out. At this point we're like yes Romagnoli's back but that did not last incredibly long Not very long at whatsoever. All. I made so many jokes about Sassuolo not being able to keep their lead and how they, you know, conceded just three minutes after. But three minutes after, Sassuolo actually got back into the game after Skamaka fucking cunted the ball from around 25 yards out. A sweet strike which glided in off the crossbar, leaving money unrooted to the spot. Now, possession was given away very carelessly by Bakayoko over here. You know, he was looking out of sorts from the get-go and although there was still a lot of work to be done, you can't be giving position away that easily. A few moments later, in the 33rd minute, Kier put the ball into his own net after a corner by Berardi saw Florenzi get a flick on which directed the ball goalwards. Theo got a clearance off the line, saving Florenzi's tears, but the ball landed to a totally unmarked Skamaka, who volleyed the ball goalwards with some power. Manian managed to save the shot with his leg, but Kier was positioned just in front of him, and the ball deflected off the Dane and, get, and got into the back of the net. A zonal marking disaster class by Milan, leaving Skamaka totally unmarked. He's the tallest guy on the pitch. So half-time, Milan are 2-1 down at home and they decide to bring on Messias for Diaz and Kessi for Bakayoko. Bakayoko had an absolute nightmare and Diaz was not too visible. In the 61st minute and then Berardi scored after Kessi attempted to take the ball forward from just outside Milan's penalty box but his touch was way too heavy and the ball fell to Defrel. Defrel played the ball to Berardi who found himself in a 1v1 with Romagnoli. Game over. Romagnoli anticipated that Berardi would cut in on his left, but when he didn't, Romagnoli absolutely face-planted to the ground, giving Mimmo space to shoot. A shoot he did, placing the ball under Manian's legs, 3-1 for Sassuolo, Berardi's 10th goal in 15 matches versus Milan. In the 77th minute, in case Romagnoli's game wasn't fucking dull enough, Sassuolo found themselves in a counter-attacking situation, Berardi played the ball to Defrel, who faced Yapsta, I mean Alessio Romagnoli, as the last man. Defrel attempted to breeze past Romagnoli, who took him out with his entire body and earned a red card. Romagnoli didn't even try to get the ball because such a simple move was far too complex for him. <laughs> so, a 3-1 loss for Milan at home to struggling Sassuolo. Now, for the, for the second time in two seasons, Sassuolo took three points against Milan de San Siro, with Berardi being somewhat of a protagonist, as always. All the more reason for Milan to make that move, I think, to sign Berardi. At this point, I think, just buy him so you don't need to play against him. Exactly. I, if I were Honestly. Sassuolo, I'd put his price up by 50% if Milan went <laughs> in for him. It only no, honestly, sense. he's a good player, though. Um, he's a good player. If you could get him on a like loan with option or something favorable or maybe a swap deal, that would yeah. be ideal. I, I would love to have Berardi at Milan. That would be that would be great, of course. Um, 
What's a fair asking price for Mimmo, do you think? Since we've only seen him at Sassuolo. Um, and, and the Azzurri as well. Uh, I, th- I wouldn't pay more than 30 million, to be honest oh, with what? you. What, really? 30 million? Think about it. He's 27 years old. Prime. Uh, he has no, sure, prime, but he has no Champions League experience. When Milan are a Champions League club. If you're gonna go to the forty million mark, you get a player who has Champions League experience, no? I'd I'd pay forty to fifty million for Mimmo. Definitely, as a player in his prime, um, we know he can hit free kicks, he can mm-hmm. hit corners, he can take penalties, and he's got the sweetest left foot in the league, I think, as well. Maybe I don't know. I, I can't justify spending forty million on him. To be honest with you, um, I I don't think his number his numbers are great for Sassuolo, of course. Um, who are a team that having high numbers at is more impressive, mm. of course. You know, mm. having high numbers at Sassuolo is better than having high numbers at Napoli, of course, because the players yeah. around you are not as good. Um, but but I don't know. I, I don't think he's proven enough to merit a forty million. I think price tag. I think if he were to join Milan, the strikers' goals would double. I think we'd see Ibra or Giroud or whoever starting at the time. Being in the top three goal scorers, I see him assisting a lot. I see him grabbing goals. I see him taking that role of a penalty taker once Kessie is out of the team. Should Kessie be out of the team? I'd, I'd personally spend 40 million. Well, personally, I don't have fucking 40 million to spend. But if I were Pioli I'd, or, or Maldini, I'd spend 40 million on him easy. Now, my main concern around Milan for the past three seasons was that they struggled to pick up after losing a game. Do you think that that's still a factor nowadays? Well, momentum definitely exists, and Milan's momentum was put to an end in that Fiorentina game, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and then all of a sudden, they're beating Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, and everyone's saying, oh, it was a clean sheet and a win, yeah. and we're believing again. The momentum, the ball's going to get rolling again, and then all of a sudden, um, Milan go 1-0 up to Sassuolo and lose 3-1. Um, I think the main problem here was complacency, again. Mm. To be honest with you, I, I saw a lot of lethargy from players like, um, you know, Bakayoko, Kessie. Yeah, Bakayoko up. was terrible. Romagnoli not focused. I'm not sure if it's a problem with focus or just technical ability in that 1v1 defending. We've seen it for so long before. We're saying, oh, Lukaku's out of the league, so Romagnoli's going to be fine. That's not the case at all. Many players can destroy him 1v1. It is not his forte. He's very good at positioning himself well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second he's challenged 1v1, the second he has to make that tackle... Most of the time, unfortunately, it does not end well for him. Romagnoli being on a good streak of form means that he hasn't had 1v1 situations. Because he's good on the ball, he's good at commanding the defence. But other than that, I mean, a defender needs to tackle. And I don't think that's his forte at all, man. But typically, I would say that his positioning prevents him from having to make the tackle. You remember what Maldini once said? He said, if I have to tackle, I've already made a mistake. I think that applies to Romagnoli, to be honest. To be fair to him, he... He is very intelligent when it comes to his positioning and his, you know, keeping the defensive line, mm. tracking his man. But at the end of the day, when it comes to being aggressive or timing the tackle, mm. he often fucks up. Yeah, let's be let's be a bit fair to Alessio and say that him starting along alongside Kier was obviously going to mean that there wasn't a lot of pace in yes. that department. So yeah. tracking back was going to be difficult, and it often meant that Romagnoli was going to be the last man. So all the pressure would be on him there. I mean, let's admit. Kier would be a much better defender if he played with Tomori every every no, game as well, sure, and, and sure. as with Romagnoli. Now the thing is, when you look at Kier, Romagnoli, and Gabia, they would all look good alongside Tomori. Yeah, you know, last week people were slating Gabia 
because of his performance. Now Romagnoli's gone out and done it. Mm-hmm. Kier didn't have a particularly good game either. It's, you know, Tomori is needed. Tomori is essential. Without Tomori, Milan have conceded seven goals seven in two, two games. games. Yeah, it's, it's fucking crazy. It's fucked. It's fucked. It's fucked. But let's praise Sassuolo a little bit now. Yeah. Now, Skamaka's goal, that, that fucking shot from outside the box, that, that glided in off the crossbar. That was that's, insane. That shows that a striker getting you goal a goal out of nothing can change the outcome of a game drastically. And that's what course, they've yeah. been missing since they lost Caputo. Having a striker that can get them a goal out of nothing. Yeah. Will he fucking keep playing well? Skamaka has got four goals in this season so far. I think he's way more convincing than Raspadori up front. Let's just say that. Um, will he keep this up? I can't see him getting more than 12 goals this season. Yeah, yeah. 12 would be very good for him, don't get me wrong. He's still a young striker, you know? Yeah, 12 um, would be We're talking about a 22-year-old striker who is pretty much playing his second season in Serie A, no? That's true, that's yeah. true. So, I mean, he's off to a good st- good start. Um, did you see what he commented on, <laughs> on Frattesi's Instagram? No. He, he called him a rapist. What? Yes. He told him stuprato or something, something like that. And yes, put, and put a just, flame like. Okay. And everyone's like, "All right, so you you play with the red paint on your face, but then you go out literally writing this no, stuff. Like there's nothing in your skull, bro. Oh my god! Like your granddad's a savage, your dad's a savage, and you. No, I mean he deserves to be slated for that. <laughs> just calling Russ for the now. But then at the end of the day, it's just a twenty-two-year-old guy having fun, you know. Probably. Oh come on. Come Probably on. in the dressing room they're always joking around like this and yeah. no one tells them anything. They go around on Instagram, you know, he's joking with a buddy and well, all of a sudden he's on the front cover of Tutto Sport. Well, if footballers <laughs> have just been in a living their entire life, so yeah. I guess they don't have much of a filter or, or, or much knowledge to the real outside world. But the only way I see Skamaka being okay in that area is if Raspadori is actually a rapist and he called him out on social media. Yeah. That's, that's the only way I see that being being good yeah. uh, can we talk about Manjaniello if that's how you pronounce his name the referee he had a bit of a disaster class here um, Raspadori had an awful challenge he should have been sent off Theo Hernandez should have also received the second yellow card for pushing Frattesi to the ground yeah. and there was and a penalty as well I believe at for the Milan. end yeah there was a Ferrari handball yeah. that wasn't even VAR yeah. yeah yeah. the, the only but way the... We're, we're getting used to this in Italy yep yeah, well it's like we always say, consistency is just not there when it comes to referees. And it's gotten to a point where it, it ruins the game when you have a referee like this on the pitch. Because I think a lot of the times it's pride coming in for referees as well, where they yeah. don't even want to check VAR because their call was the right call. And a lot of them just would straight up disagree with VAR because they're yeah. aware that a machine can do their job better than them. Yeah, pride is a big problem with referees. I, I agree completely. Pride is the devil. Hit it. So, Milan second with 32 points. We say for the third week in a row. <laughs> and Sassuolo 12th with 18 points. Yes, sir. Moving on to the next game between Juve and Atalanta, which ended 1-0 to Atalanta, who made history. This was their first away win against Juventus since October 1989. It had been 24 games since Atalanta beat Juve at the Allianz Stadium, but you could tell that this was bound to change as Atalanta's last three trips to the Allianz Stadium ended in a draw. 
So, you know, this was becoming a bit of a mm-hmm. theme. They were getting better and better. In the 28th minute, Jim City intercepted a clumsy pass by Morata and played the ball perfectly to Zapata. Incredible awareness by Jim City. Um, Zapata found himself onside due to a poorly positioned delict. The Colombian beast took the ball into the area and rifled it into the roof of the net. Seven goals in seven games for Duvan Zapata. Hot, 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 hot. Atalanta were happy to scrap and stall the game, picking up three yellow cards before the break to kill play. Um, they were kind. They kind of Juve Juve in this game. <laughs> you know, it was the classic Allegri one nil against yeah. Allegri. Gasperini mind yeah. games. Now, Rabiot came the closest to finding an equalizer for the Bianconeri, only to be denied by a fingertip save by Juan Musso. Bernardeschi and Dybala tried their luck but failed to cause Musso any trouble. Um, Juve's top scorer Bonucci hit a free header wide. <laughs> Dybala clipped the crossbar from a free kick while Atalanta had the, just had the one chance and they took all three points home for this historic win. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was also their first clean sheet in 10 matches. Wow, okay. Now this is the fifth defeat this season for Juventus, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the worst Juventus side you've seen in how long? I mean, is this the worst Juve side you've seen? I think it, it it's debatable against the Juve of last season when it comes to the first half of the season. I think I think Juve were this bad, but I don't think this bad because I don't think they lost five games. No, I'm I'm not I'm not sure to yeah. be honest. I know they weren't great. Um, but at least they had a fucking striker on the team yeah. and, and his name was Cristiano Ronaldo. Now they have a certain French left winger named Adrien Rabiot. Yeah. So it, it's it's a bit yeah, a bit of a mismatch between those two teams. This is the worst Juve side I can remember, to be honest with you. Um especially, you know, when Chiesa went out injured, they had nothing left. Nothing. Nothing left. Nothing, bro. Chiesa and McKenney went out injured. Apparently McKenney's injury is not as serious as they feared, while Chiesa's yeah. is worse than they feared. Yeah. Um yeah, let's play a game, bro. I'm going to read you Juve's starting 11 and you're going to tell me who deserves to play for this team. Okay, just okay. say yes or no after their name. Okay. So I'll start. Chesney. No. Quadrado. Yes. Delict. Yes. Bonucci. Yes. Alexandro. No. Chiesa. Yes. McKenny. No. Locatelli. Yes. Rabio. No. Morata. No. Dybala. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's barely half the team, you know? Yeah. That One thing they need to do is change. Well, and a lot of them were debatable. Like, for example, Delict yeah. is, is very debatable. Dybala is very debatable. Quadrado's getting old now, so very debatable. Locatelli had a good game. Locatelli was their only strong point in that match. Maybe Dybala gave them some flair as well. But you could, you know, have a good game all you want. If you don't have a guy to play it to up front, you're doing it all for nothing. Yes. Not having a, a, a striker is like having a goal. Is not is like not having a goalkeeper. Yes. Just like you have someone to keep the ball out. You need someone to put the ball in, and they simply don't have that man. It's it's interesting you say that because Morata, of course, has was booed by the Juve fans, mm-hmm. and um, he's receiving a lot of criticism, especially due to the fact that he was the one who passed the ball poorly. Yeah. And that Correct. eventually led to Atalanta's goal. Um, Allegri, after the game, actually defended him. He said that Morata was used as a scapegoat a scapegoat by fans um, claim, calling it a political attack saying that in, in reality Morata was one of the better players for Juve against Atalanta do you agree with Allegri there? No 
not not really. I don't think he was one of the. I think. No, I I, I disagree. I don't think he had a good performance. I don't think he was bad. I don't think he was decisive though. Exactly. No, I th- I think as as a striker for Juventus, you, you know you need someone who likes Kamaka would get you a goal out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Or or who would contribute to the game? How could you say a striker had a good performance if the striker didn't score a goal and the striker hasn't been scoring goals? No, well, it's absurd. He not necessarily. I think, for example, Giroud had a great World Cup when he didn't score a single yeah, goal. Yeah, but Giroud is a different kind of striker. Morata doesn't. <laughs> Morata doesn't assist. Morata yeah. doesn't hold the ball well. Morata runs towards goal like a headless chicken and and, <laughs> and shoots off target. Yeah. Okay. No, I I disagree with Allegri there. Okay, interesting. Um, Allegri was furious after the game and could be seen pointing at someone and hurling insults. Classic. Um, you could see Kellini, Pinsolio, and Kai George's faces. They were hilarious. You know, they looked <laughs> they looked so tense. Um, Allegri also said that when we say we are the strongest, an error of assessment is made. We must be realistic and try to work to regain serenity. Juve are a team that has to fight to get top four. Now you know he's right. No, he is right. He's right. The, he's do right. do you think that his players share his mentality? Because I think certain players have such an inflated ego because they play for Juve that that might affect the way they play on the pitch. I think, for example, on occasion, Bonucci could be one yeah, of them. Maybe. Um, maybe Rabio. Rabio. Rabio doesn't give a fuck. You see yeah. people shouting instructions at him. doesn't give a fuck, Rabio. Yeah. <laughs> he's playing on the left wing. He gives you a step over every now and then because he's a winger now. Yeah. Fuck that, man. I would hate to have these guys on my team. Same. Um, it's the, the, the free transfer policy really fucked Juve up. Uh, they have many high wages on players they can't get rid of who don't deserve the high wages. Like as yeah. we mentioned, Rabiot or Ramsey. Ramsey. And these guys are just not quite good enough. Yeah. So the squad's in kind of a dire situation right yeah. now. And Allegri has a lot on his plate to deal with. But let's get to the fun part, bro. This just in. Juventus headquarters raided by police investigating <laughs> dodgy transfers could result in a fine or point deduction if true. Now Allegri said that the atmosphere is calm, the players are calm, and that Agnelli oh, gave a beautiful calm. gave a beautiful speech to the boys. Mm-hmm. Now that to me is just funny. Just like in yeah. that Netflix series he gave them. Exactly. Um, Agnelli, Nedved, and Paratici, who is now at Spurs, are all under investigation. Um, Juve released a statement acknowledging that that they have started their investigations and um, that Agnelli Nedved and a guy called Stefano Cerrato um, are being investigated and this body called Kodokans said that Juve could be relegated and have the Scudetto revoked due to the capital gains case. Ah. Now this Kodokans is the core Coordination of associations from the defense of the environment, of the rights of users and consumers. Jesus now, Christ, um, change that name to one word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call them the Cobros. <laughs> <laughs> They're a non-profit association founded in 1986. Oh, these non-profits are quite annoying. Yeah, huh? they are, they are, they are. Um, I, I can see this blowing over. I can't see anything happening to you, but it's certainly not getting relegated. Worst case scenario, I can tell you, it'll be a, a points deduction. Yeah, we've seen we've seen them fine. get relegated before. Of course, but that was a massive scandal. I highly doubt it'll repeat itself. I don't know, I highly doubt it. What do you yeah, think? No, no I, I very much 
think of it the same way you do. I don't mm. even think there'll be a points deduction. I think there might be some element of a, of a transfer ban, for example, maybe mm. that's, which would really fuck you up. They might as well get relegated if they get a transfer <laughs> ban because they need some fucking players. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe a transfer ban. I don't see much happening. To be honest, I, I don't know the extent of it. I don't think anyone knows the extent of it. Um, I think only Nedved must know the, the extent of it. But but we'll find out soon enough, I, I hope. Yeah, we will. Um, we'll see what happens over here. Definitely, definitely an interesting story to follow. Yeah, the last thing you've need right now, to be honest. It's true, it's true. The last it's true, thing. It's true. The, they're already in a strange situation. The last thing they need is political unrest. Yeah. Now, Juve sits 7th with 21 points, 7 points off of a CL spot, while Atalanta sit in 4th, 3 points clear of Roma, who are in 5th. The next game sees a team that keeps on progressing match day by match day win away against Venezia. It's obviously Inter that I'm speaking about as they won 2-0 away from home. Venezia were unbeaten in their last three matches, looking to make it three Serie A wins in a row, the first time since 1962. Inter unbeaten in their last five matches, their last defeat came in the hands of Lazio on match day 9. Inter still missing De Vries, and for that reason they saw De Marco play at centre-back alongside Bastoni and Skriniar. Venezia were defending quite well throughout the game, until the 34th minute when Chalanoglu picked up a loose ball outside the area, and although his sight was crowded, he managed to squeeze a shot through into the bottom corner, his third goal in three games. Cunt. <laughs> Now, just before the end of the first half, Aramu forced a fantastic save off of Handanovic after he tried his luck with a dipping and swerving shot from some range and quite an ang- at quite an angle too. The man is an absolute magician. And after halftime, just after the break, he had another long-range attempt, this time with his left, and he steered it just wide. Moments later, Skriniar's header was cleared off the line by Haps, and Romero had a couple of good saves denying Zeko and Di Marco. But the next goal took until the 97th minute. What's the Haps? <laughs> now, this goal in the 97th minute gave Jake three points. He predicted a 2 0, and I predicted a 3 0, because I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> But in the 97th minute, a penalty was awarded to Inter after it seemed as though Haps handled the ball. <laughs> You're gonna say it, I can hear you breathing. A penalty was awarded to Inter after it seemed as though Haps handled the ball when blocking a Lautaro shot. The referee literally checked VAR for a tenth of a second, and even that was enough to award the penalty as it was so fucking clear cut. I think Jake slipped a fiver to Haps to yeah. get this penalty to happen, obviously, to give him the three points. But yeah, Lautaro stepped up and sent Romero the wrong way, making it 2-0 to Inter. Now, in this game, bro, Inter had 27 shots. 11 of them Oof. were on target, Christ, 6 almighty. off target, 10 blocked. 9 of them were saved by Romero, who has really improved the Venezia side, in my opinion, after joining from United. He's been very good. He's, He's been, been really good, good, bro. Yeah. A bit of history on him is that, obviously, they signed him from United, where he only played 7 matches in 6 years. Before wow. that, he was at Sampdoria. Oh my he God, was at Sampdoria, he, he joined them when they got relegated and he said Sampdoria will get promotion with me in goal. They got promotion and then they had Viviano, Viviano they had Viviano yeah, yeah. and Viviano benched Romero and Romero ended up going to some, to some funky league and then he had saved those penalties in the World Cup. And then that got him, got him a shout from United. Um, Romero says he has no regrets in his career and... 
To be honest, he's he's in a cute little spot playing at Venice. He is. Yeah? He's living in Venice. You know, he's playing in Serie. He's living the life right now, and he's with a sexy stylish football team so that's that's nice for 100 percent. now obviously we've praised venezia a hell of a lot but they had they just played inter and now they have atalanta up next and then they're playing hellas and then they're playing juve so do not freak out if you see them at 18th spot anytime soon but they will get out of it what do you think I think the next yeah, yeah these next games are going to be a huge test for them. I, I'd be surprised to see them getting anything out of it, to be honest with you. They are currently 16th with 15 points, 5 points clear of 18th. So who knows, maybe a bit of a defensive approach, a bit of Catanaccio um, yeah. against Verona, for example, would see them would see them remaining where they are. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think they'll avoid the drop, personally. Yeah. No, I think they will avoid the drop. But if they could get 3 points... Anywhere in these fixtures, it would be a fucking It'd achievement. Be a miracle. It would be a miracle, I have to say. Atalanta, Hellas, Juve, and they just lost to Winter. The but they did a good job, man. They're they most likely to get something out of the Juve game, I think. <laughs> or Hellas. Uh, Hellas have just lost or to Hellas. Guess, to be honest, which we will cover very soon. Yeah. Now, Inter are a force to be reckoned with at the moment. I think the last time they lost a game, yep, like I mentioned before, was match day nine against Napoli, and that was a bit of a, a freak occurrence. I simply don't see them dropping points anytime soon, and I think one man in particular that should be getting much more praise than he is is Brozovic. I feel oh. like as soon as the team faces tough opponents... You know, be it Venezia putting in a shift or, or be it Milan playing really well and having quality about them. Brozovic puts in such a shift, man. He defends really well. I think he has everything a central defensive midfielder would want. He could really pass the ball as well. He's really underrated in that department, he's I feel. The, he's the engine of that team. Mm-hmm. You know, he's so good. He runs around everywhere. He always has like the highest distance run, as we said in one of the episodes um it's bizarre how his lifestyle doesn't quite match the way he runs and his performances on the pitch, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, he'll yeah. probably eat like a more orange a packet of Doritos <laughs> and diet coke and run into the pitch, you know? It's it's weird. Um, but yes, he's amazing and he has the whole saga right now with his renewal. He hasn't renewed and his contract's on, on the last year, you know? So so we might not even see Brozovic at Inter next year. He might pull a Chalanoglu or a Oh, wow, Kessie, okay. Quite frankly. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, another guy that doesn't really like talking about contracts is Chalanoglu. He's yeah. been playing decently. However, well, three goals in three games, obviously a couple of them were penalties. Do you think he's being allowed to take penalties to increase his market value as a player? Because they don't see him long term at the club. I don't know. I highly doubt that to be honest. Chalanoglu can He's a, he's a dead ball specialist. If Chalanoglu is anything, he's a dead ball specialist. He's good at corners, he's good at free kicks, and quite frankly, he's good at penalties. I can't remember him ever missing one for Milan, for example. Um, so it's only natural that he's taking them, you know. Um, did he even take many at Milan? I think we only saw him in a few shootouts. In a few shootouts, yeah, no, yeah, but and yeah. The Rio Ave one. Yeah, but, but I mean, Zlatan and Kessie were preferred over him. I, I personally had never seen him take a penalty in, in an open play before. Yeah, but um, when he was called upon, he he pulled the trigger every time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's he's scoring them, but I think it's it's so much nicer. For example, United are looking for a midfielder or something, and they said this guy has has fifteen goals a season rather yeah. than eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So, yeah, but I think that look at the the penalty stats, of course. Maybe just like Kessie, you know, Kessie's inflated value. He scores. You don't buy Kessie because he's a goal scorer. He takes penalties. Sure, that's a bonus, but he's not a goal scorer. You know. Yeah, that's a reason to take him on Fanta, I guess, and not yeah, not, exactly. not real life. Football. Yeah. <laughs> So Inter find themselves in third now on 31 points. So they're one point behind Milan now and four behind Napoli. And they've got quite an easy stretch coming up. Do they? Yeah, 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 they do. Um, In fact, their next game is against... One second, let's find this. Because I moved really... Okay, there we go. Um, Their next game is against Spezia. Then the game after that is against Roma, which is a tough one. Okay, Um, away. And then after that, they've got Cagliari. Followed by Salernitana, followed by Torino, okay, not too bad. Then Bologna. Oh, wow, okay. Not the toughest fixtures. And while, while Milan, you know, find their form again, Inter could really take advantage of the situation. A hundred percent. I think I think we'll see we'll see Inter progressing significantly now. Venezia are 16th on 15 points. Obviously, a bit of a different situation to to Inter. They've got some tough games coming up and that might see them double a bit in the relegation zone. But, yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about Venezia. Up next, we go to the Stadio Olimpico for Roma-Torino, which ended 1-0 to Roma. Historically, Torino have struggled against Roma at the Olimpico, beating Roma just once since 2007. The goal came in the 32nd minute when Ibanez played it to Mkhitaryan, who plays a dangerous ball into the box. Zaniola does well to jump over it, tricking the Torino defenders. The ball falls to Abraham, who does well to turn quickly and shoot. It was a great finish by Tammy, and it was his fourth league goal of the season. Later on in the first half, Bongiorno dropped El Sharawi in the area, and the referee was quick to point to the spot. What ensued was a VAR check that lasted over five minutes. Abraham waited on the penalty spot, juggled the ball a bit, dialogues were had, jeers were heard, and eventually the penalty wasn't given as Abraham himself was offside in the build-up play. Now, it's always fun to listen to these commentators during the VAR checks, you know. They have nothing to say, they have nothing to talk about. Tammy Abraham's juggling the ball over there. It's taking a while, isn't it, Clive? They, they were bitching about how long it was taking. It and was then, hilarious. And then the backup commentator was like, as long as we have the correct decision. <laughs> That's all that's important. The <laughs> second commentator is always such a matter-of-fact kind of person. Yeah. Like. And the first commentator always kind of loads him secretly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like on this podcast. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it was really interesting um, to see that, yeah. Pellegrini went off injured, he has 30 to 40 days out, um, he joined the likes of Villar, Cristante and Veratu who are also unavailable for this one. Now don't get me wrong, this was not a walk in the park for Roma at all, in fact it was mostly Torino who dominated this this game. Um, Bellotti also went off injured um, and Juric has since said that, he'll f- that the fear is that he'll be out for a while as it looked like a stretch quite frankly. Um, Juric hailed Ansaldi's importance saying that without him they miss the characteristic of a good right foot hmm. yeah quite so yeah. the only guy with a good right foot in the team basically I think he meant service wise though he, yeah, was the yeah, he has a very direct sure. yeah um, this was Torino's fourth one the loss on the road in a row and in fact Juric post game was like we only suffered three chances but pretty much controlled the game especially in the first 30 minutes we held up Abraham and Zaniola well. The Prath and Pobega chances could have given us an advantage. When you lose four away games in a row, you ask yourself a few questions. Do you think that a tactical change is imminent for Torino? 
I, I think to be honest, they've had they've had quite a quite an unlucky spell when it comes to their their away performances. I know they've they've been tough fixtures as well. Yeah, the it's, the it's majority of them. Loss, you know? It's actually quite impressive for the Torino side that he that he took over. Bear in mind, Torino were bullshit last season. <laughs> they were, they were absolutely shit. Yeah. Like, and you know they were conceding. I think six goals against Atalanta. Seven, I think. Seven yeah. goals against Atalanta. You know, I don't think a, a tactical change is imminent. I I think you know you give Juric some more time. You you let the team figure out some things. You, they have some uncertainty in their team as well. Obviously, Brekalon alone, Belotti looking for a move away as well. So once they settle down, I think I think they could really start pushing up the table and I think we could yeah. see them as a consistent top 10 team. I agree. The foundation is there. They just need to execute it per- perfectly. They need to take their chances. Before the Roma goal, Torino dominated and they even had three chances to score. There was Pratt, there was Pabega, of course, as we mentioned. Um, unlucky for them yeah. And then of course once Roma got ahead It's very difficult to come back to Jose Mourinho Of course Now Park the bus yeah. Belotti and Pratt hadn't played in a long time So they're still finding their groove Is what Yuri said in their defence and there were shouts that Brekalo is inconsistent. Juric instantly shut them down, saying he's not inconsistent. Three goals in nine to ten games in your first season in Serie A is far from inconsistent. Damn right. promising. He also said that he isn't a fan of the January market and he must focus on getting the best out of the players he has, as if the mistakes made in August were his own. Yeah, I mean... You you just wait, Juric, until you get a Conference League spot or a Europa League spot and you're playing three games a week and you're, all your players have a muscle problem and a muscle injury problem. No, 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 no. He's not a fa- not he isn't a fan of the January market existing. He's not a fan of dabbling in it. He believes that his score... Yeah, no, 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 I know. I know, I know, I know. Oh. I'm saying if he were to get to the Conference League spot, he'll very much mm-hmm. be a fan of the January transfer market because he will simply need to bring in some reinforcements. What if Bellotti, Sanabria and, and all his forwards get injured? He's going to need to double in the market. I, I think he should double in the market. Don't get me if it's there, I think he should. I don't know why he's... But I guess this is um, kind of like the the opposite of what Mourinho does. No, he's showing that he stands with his players and he's not thinking about bringing um, more people in. You know. Yeah, no, I like that approach. But yeah, you, you will. You, he will need to make some some signs, especially for example, if Belotti keeps getting hurt. That's the second time this yeah. season that that he's getting hurt. Then yeah, he'll, he'll need to pull out some cash. Definitely. Mourinho said that winning like this is more satisfying than winning five nil because it requires a lot of concentration and teamwork. I understand Fair this enough. point. Fair enough. Um, he also said that Abraham and Zaniolo's chemistry is a result of the time they spend together off the pitch. And he was full of praise for his players, actually. He pretty much praised every single one of them for for their performances. Now, Matt, what is a pinur in English? I don't even know, man. I'm not sure. But you know that, like, fucking cock you have on your on your roof that points to the direction of north? Or, <laughs> no, points to the direction of <laughs> where ah, the wind is. Oh, my God. What the fuck is that called again? That, like, rooster the with rooster, the arrow yeah, and the yeah, north, yeah, south, the east, west. On your, on yeah. <laughs> Basically, Mourinho's like that, man. If his, if his team's playing well, he's full of praise. If they're playing shit, he's throwing them under the bus. <laughs> but anyway, Roma sit in fifth with 25 points, three points from a CL spot. Torino sit in 13th with 17 points, four points off of a Conference League spot. 
So the next game saw another upset, the same Sampdoria got a victory against Verona. Three goals to one, the Versa's men back to winning ways. Now this result means that Verona are winless at the Luigi Ferrari since 1972. Verona though are unbeaten in their last five, but both teams have failed to get back-to-back -back wins yet this season. Starting off this game in the 33rd minute was an injury towards Alex Ferrari. He went off injured and he was replaced by Maya Yoshida in the 35th minute. Two minutes later, Tameze got a goal putting Verona 1-0 ahead. This was a shot from just outside the area by Tamez, which saw the ball deflect off Yoshida and, and Audero and into the back of the net. Yoshida's touch, which led to the goal, was his second touch of the game, the first being a weak clearance into Tamez's pot, so not a great start for Maya at all. So going into the going into halftime, it was 1-0 to Verona. In the second half, Sampdoria turned up the heat, particularly Candreva. In the 51st minute, Candreva got a goal after a counter-attack was led by Vere down the left flank, whose cross into the box was flicked off the chest by Ciccio Caputo and into Candreva's direction. Candreva took the shot on a half volley, finishing, finishing excellently to beat an informed Montepo. He celebrated by holding up a Damsgaard kit, who is still out after his knee surgery from an injury he picked up on international break and should be back the end of December. That is Candreva's sixth goal of the season. In the 77th minute, Egdal got his, got his name onto the score sheet after a Kandreva assist. Now, Samp had a free kick from distance which was laid off by Berzinski to Kandreva, whose cross was headed goalwards by Egdal and into the bottom corner, making it 2-1. That is also Kandreva's third assist of the season, I believe. In the 90th minute, Murru managed to get a goal as well. This was another counter-attack from the left-hand side. Now saw Kandreva bringing the ball forward, so swapping sides as well. He plays like a fucking 25-year-old. <laughs> um, he played the ball through to Gabbiadini, whose shot was blocked by Davidovic, falling back to Murru, who finished very cleanly from a tight angle, low, hard, and little Montepo could do about it. It is his third assist this season. Nice. His sixth goal. Nice. Now, Audera had a good game. Is he occasionally... Is he good, but occasionally shit? Or is he shit, but occasionally good? <laughs> so, there has 14 games and 26 goals conceded. I don't think that the majority of those goals were his fault. He had all. a couple that were his he fault. He had a couple that he were had, his fault. He had a, a significant amount. Yes. I, I would say he's good, but occasionally shit. You? Nice, nice. I, I would agree. I would agree. He's still young as well. Yeah. 24, however old he is. Which brings me to the question, how much would Kandreva cost if he were 25 and playing like this? If Kandreva were 25 and playing like this, it's easily... 700 million? <laughs> <laughs> if Kandreva were 25 and playing like this, man, he'd have Juve all over him. Literally, he'd be yeah. starting for Juve gaming. An game Italian on. with jet black hair and a gentleman's face. Yeah. Adam's up. Screams Apple. Juve. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Literally. No, I think I think it'd be I I think it'd be getting interest worldwide if he were twenty five years old. And I think he'd he'd be going for seventy million. Seventy? Twenty five. Seventy million. No, I would say forty million. Forty million. Ten more than Barardi would go You're for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so some now have two wins in a row with the next game. Yeah, you haven't called me the Oracle once. Oh, you're fucking right, Oracle. We had a deal, man. Oh, apologies, Oracle. I'll, I'll keep... Yeah. 
I'll consider. Please. <laughs> Sampdoria now have two wins in a row, and the next game being away to Fiorentina. They find themselves six points away from the, zo- the drop zone, so we can breathe. Do you think Sampdoria will start playing a bit better now? Maybe getting some wins? Do you think maybe they'll hold Fiorentina? Mr. Oracle, please give me something. Hmm. <laughs> I see a large scoreline. No. <laughs> um, this was an important result for Sampdoria. They really needed it. They were underperforming. You know, The results didn't justify how well they started the season. Or, To be honest, how good their team is. Because their team isn't yeah. bad. It's That's good. It's, it's a very exactly, good team. It's a mid-table Serie A team. Like. Um, so yes, I think I think that maybe this will be a turnaround for them, a turning point, because they beat a Verona who have been inspired lately. A 100%. very good result for Sampdoria. Yeah, hundred percent. When none of us predicted that, so obviously they shocked the world. So a tough day at the office for Hellas Verona. What happened here? Do you have any any takes for that? No, I mean the the ball is round, Matt. You know, um, you look at the possession, for example, Verona dominated the possession. They had 60%, quite frankly. Um, but then when it comes to attempts on target, Verona had 14, um, Sampdoria had 15. I guess it just comes down to who took their chances and who didn't. Sampdoria did, and Verona, quite frankly, did not. Yes, Oracle. I agree, Oracle. Any areas you think Verona should focus on in the January transfer market, or does Tudor hate the January transfer market or some shit? I think they need a defender, bro. Um, maybe a yeah, a centre back would be nice. A Lovato, for them. man. Lovato was the guy, but unfortunately, he's no longer there. Yeah. No, um, Demarco. I think a centre back would do them wonders. Personally. I miss you, miss you. I mean, think about it. I wouldn't dream. And maybe a left winger to compete with Lazovic. Yeah, I'd say as Lazovic is pretty inconsistent, so I, I would say I bring someone. But a lot of. Um, Sampdoria's attacks came down Faroni's side, which was strange, man. I it might have been because of Chasale there. Um, Chasale is twenty three years old. He doesn't have much experience. Maybe they targeted him more than Faroni. You know, Faroni's always gonna push up. Yeah, we saw Kandreva celebrating by holding up Damsgaard's shirt. Damsgaard mm-hmm. is scheduled to be back late December, but you never know with a, a young man facing a lot of injuries. Do you think it'll have much of an impact on the Sampdoria team? Um, I think it'll make them better. I don't think it'll change their play style completely. But I think it'll influence them po- positively, quite frankly, yes. Yeah, I agree. Think? I-, I think it'll get some contributions as well. I think... He has to shake the injury off first, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and it's he had two lengthy ones in a row, which isn't fun. For for him obviously, but yeah, I think I think he'll be back, and I think he'll 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 get back into his ways. He'll find his groove, and you know maybe March we'll be seeing him at at full flow. Hopefully, um, Sampdoria find themselves in fifteenth now on fifteen points. You see what a win can do. They're suddenly at fifteenth. Yeah, so early on in the season as well. Yeah, and they're only four points behind Verona in reality, dude. Verona tenth on nineteen points. So we maybe we weren't so stupid to praise Sampdoria so much. You heard that, Luke Mintoff. <laughs> now, the next game saw Empoli taking on Fiorentina in the Derby Stracittadino. If that's how you pronounce it. The fuck? Yeah, um, it's a derby based in Tuscany, basically. Four consecutive away losses for Fiorentina for the first time since 2013 as Empoli beat them 2-1. 
thanks to two late goals. Now, in reality, did you know that the real derby of Florence is between Fiorentina and Rondinella? Rondinella. 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 And that is where Barzali started his playing career. Ah. And he played 51 games for them and scored three goals. Okay. Yeah, he's like their claim to fame. Rondinella. Everybody was like, yeah, I support Rondinella. You know Barzali? It's like when I was in the desert in Morocco. Who was that that Moroccan center back on Juve, bro? I was Mehdi Benati. I was like, oh, they, they were like... With his machine gun celebration. We don't know football. We only know desert. They were, they were telling <laughs> These guys just love the sand. Like, that's, that's all. So, in the 57th minute, Vlaovic dinked the ball to Kajahon, who crossed low and hard to find the Serbian at the far post, who slotted it home. Amazing. Vlaovic started this move and finished it off. He has proven to be more than just a goal scorer. His long balls that he dinks can be quite good. His long, juicy balls. Yes. Kajahon um, had a classic Napoli under Sarri move there, I have to say. He brought me flashbacks of it, you know. Yeah, they whip that out sometimes. I think even Ross Barkley whoops whoops out some some salary ball sometimes yeah. as well. Ross <laughs> Barkley, um, Vlaovic's goal saw him beat the Serbian Kurt Hamrin's sixty-one-year-old record of scoring the most goals in a single Serie A calendar year, twenty-seven goals. What? Yeah, man. Yeah, crazy. So Vlaovic has made history. Nice. In the 87th minute, this was a, a turning point. Now, curiously, in the 85th minute, Torreira was subbed out, okay? In the 87th minute, a dangerous Bayrami cross forced confusion in the area, resulting in Terracino awkwardly jumping out in an attempt to punch the ball and ended up colliding with his own defender. The ball fell to Bandinelli, who fired it home, and suddenly there were 1-1. In the 89th minute, just two minutes later, it was Bayrami again, who charged down the right-hand side and played a perfectly weighted low ball to Pinamonti, who took a touch and finished it well. And all of a sudden, the comeback is complete and Empoli go home with three points. You woke me up at that point because you started screaming. I, I don't yeah. know why I fell asleep. I think I like had a long day or some shit. You probably had a long day of watching the games before. <laughs> so, <laughs> Zurkowski got injured this game and was subbed out for Haas. And um, Italiano apologized after the game for not being able to change the pace away from home, saying that they have to turn their anger into energy for the upcoming mid- midweek fixtures. As usual... We are called to react from home, he said. The only positive was Vlaovic's goal. But that was only an illusion. (laughs) It was not. The match was ours. We had a dress throwing games away. At the end, if you don't win, you mustn't lose. That's what um, Italiano said. Now, in my opinion, this game, Bonaventura was particularly frustrating, Matt. He missed two golden opportunities. What do you think? Well, he's not the same player that he was before for Milan, for sure. Not even the player who was last season. We saw him make that vital error. Well, not so vital because they got away with the three points against Milan anyway. But his decision-making has been a little bit off. I think when you give Bonaventura time to think, I think that's where he fucks up. I think he's a very good instinctive player. He's good mm-hmm. at thinking that, on the speed. That's an interesting point. I tend to agree with you. The nice. second he's on the ball for too long, he often makes the wrong decision. When he needs to play it quickly, he makes the right decision. Yeah, he ends up playing it laterally most of the time. Yeah, yeah as I mentioned, man, Amrabat came on for Torreira in the 85th minute. They had just taken out um, Bonaventura too. Mm-hmm. Do you think that these two midfield changes had anything to do with the loss? 
I think, I mean, you bring on Amrabat, you're bringing on a conservative kind of kind of player. Yeah, you're bringing on energy, I guess, yeah. is what you're doing. And Torreira kind of, you know, he, he dictates the tempo of the game for Fiorentina. He is that kind of defensive midfielder that we spoke about yeah. earlier, like a Jorginho-esque kind of player. So, I'm not going to say Italiano's substitutions were bad. I just don't think they worked out the way he would have intended them to because it makes sense to bring on Amrabat for his energy. But then, after that doesn't work out, it's easy for me to say, oh, but Amrabat is is mainly a physical player and he doesn't offer much going forward. But he made the change for a reason and it it didn't work out. Empoli can can provide a lot of energy that could stun a lot of teams and it even stunned Fiorentina. I have to say that Andrea Zoli really knows how to manage this Empoli side, man. Like, he brought on Bandinelli, who scored. He brought on Bayrami, who set up both goals. He brought on Lamantia, who won the header in that confusion mm. when, when Tyrell Trano mm. came out, you know. Um, I don't know, man. He's, he's a very good manager, I have to say. Andrea he's got a Zoli. squad. He doesn't have 11 players. Yeah, yeah. He, he manages an entire squad. I think Andrea Zoli will, will very much follow suit to Italiano. I think next season he'll end up at a, at a larger team. He's, he's really impressed me, and I'm sure he's impressed a lot of, a lot of CEOs as well. Interesting. Um, he's sixty-eight years old. That's the only problem with him. He's sixty-eight. Sixty-eight years old, man. Fuck me. Well, yeah. Drop your skincare routine, Andrea Zoli. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yes, Empoli seem seems safe from the drop, claiming the hearts of many neutrals. Um, it was a setback for Fiorentina, who have European aspirations. They would like to qualify for the first time since two thousand and sixteen. They currently find themselves in 6th with 21 points, 7 points off of the Champions League spot, while Empoli are 11th with 19 points, still straight up vibing, 9 <laughs> points from the drop, 2 points off of a Conference League spot. Fucking go for it, Empoli, what the fuck, you have nothing to lose. <laughs> the next game takes us to a nil-nil draw, so wish me the best of luck in trying to make this entertaining for you guys. This was a draw between Udinese and Genoa. Now, Udinese came into this match celebrating their 125-year anniversary and sported a lovely kit which displayed all of their badges throughout the years. It's actually a really nice kit. I might want to get my hands on it. Beautiful, bro. What they were not celebrating is two wins in 14 matches because that is all they came into the match with. Genoa still going through an injury crisis and they themselves have one win in 14. So this was a must-win for both teams involved, so it was quite a boxing match. 13 minutes into the game, Pereira went off injured with a shoulder injury after a very legal challenge by Badel, Badel, Badelj. Badeli, Badel. I'm just going to say Badelj. Badelj also. Badel, Badel, Badel. Okay. Badelj. Badel also produced a masterful interception to deny Beto's ball to Delafoe after some brilliant work by the Portuguese. That's the one. Um... Fucking Beto has been really good in in this move. He fucking powered forward with strength, pace, intelligence. And he tried to play the ball through to Delafoe. And fucking Badel fucking just threw himself at the ball in a last-ditch interception. It was beautiful. I have to tell you, um, I was speaking to a Portuguese friend of mine who... um, I asked him about Beto, basically. I was just asking him about all like... You mean Bit? About Bit? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He actually says like Bruno Fernandes and all that. Like Of course. Yeah. Uh, noon mage and <laughs> that's my favorite noon mage my favorite is Rupert Trish Rup- <laughs> <laughs> he 
He talked about Beto. Apparently, Beto was being held hostage by his club before, and he went to Facebook to ask for help. Like, Ooh. free me, let me out. Imagine then, holding someone hostage and giving him access to Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Try harder, guys. Yeah, but uh, he's happy to see him um, playing abroad finally, you mm-hmm. know, doing he's, well. He's a, young, he's a young guy as well. He's young, he's very good, he's built like an animal. And I think in the future, after Cristiano Ronaldo retires, it's going to be him and... Um, wow, what's his Felix name? No, maybe no, as no, well. No, no. Andre Silva. Competing for the number nine spot, mm. for sure. Mm. Leao out wide. Le- oh, that's a nice team for the future. That is a very nice team. Now, in this game, both teams kind of had their chances. The best chance probably fell to Ekuban for Genoa after a brilliant ball by Rovella. Rovella, wow. What a player. By the way, he's been playing really fucking well. Yes. Ekuban flicked the ball around Samir in great fashion, but could only place the ball wide once through on goal. Now, having been booked in the first half, Udinese's Molina was really lucky to escape a second yellow card as he took a wild swipe while, t- while looking to take the ball off Rovella, catching the 19-year-old and sparking wild protests from the Rosso Blue. Now, again, it was pretty end-to-end, but Udinese did seem like the more dangerous side, especially with Beto's shot com- from close range, Guided on to the post by Cambiasso after he managed to get a block in as well. Now, the teams shared the points after 90 minutes, but I really feel like with a full squad, Genoa might have been able to see this one through. And I think, with the amount of injuries that they have, again, Sheva did a great job at maintaining a 0-0 draw, man. And they had their chances to make it 1-0 as well. I think the objective right now is don't fucking lose till we get everyone back. Yeah. Um... They currently sit 18th. in 18th, yes, yeah. one point off of safety. I think there's time, and until they settle under Shevchenko, I think he, he might save them. I have high hopes for Genoa under, under Shevchenko. Yeah, I, it's interesting because a couple of a couple of weeks ago we'd be saying, you know, Genoa are in serious trouble, and now there, there's a change of manager, two, day, two matches in, and we're, we're very hopeful for them, so... I think we need to take a step back, see how they progress. Obviously, it's not the best time to make any judgments because they're literally half a team. They're missing their best players, seriously. Yeah, they're, they're, they're. And the fact that they managed to hold Roma until the 81st minute and then, you know, Afena Gian fucking turned into Maradona. And in this game, you managed to hold Udinese to a nil-nil draw away from home. It's pretty impressive by Sheva. So I'd say it's a good start for him thus far. Now, do you think that they'll be able to recover, though? How where do you think they'll end up in the league? Do you see them climbing up to 15th or...? Um, Genoa, I see them... I see them surviving. Genoa are like... They're like... They, you can't get rid of them, man. They're like yeah. herpes. <laughs> they just come back always. You can't get rid of Genoa. Yeah. And I think especially now that they've appointed Shevchenko, they, they have at least displayed the illusion that they have a project going on. Yeah. Do they actually have a project going on? Probably not, but they have a young manager who's progressive. He's playing well without Caicedo, Crescito, Destro, Fares and Maximovic. That's who are fucking crazy, man. They're literally all starters. Yeah. Yeah. While like this was against an Udinese side who had no missing players by the way. Yeah, time. Udinese full, full squad, full, full force. squad. And they've been good. And and I was about to say, like what do you think of Udinese this season? Because they they haven't been playing terrible football. But 
you know, 14th, yeah. 15 points. I, I, I know it's joined, tight. They joined the likes of Torino and Sampdoria. Torino, Samp and Udinese, we, we've spoken, they, they're kind of in the same situation. Yeah, they're those enough. mid-table teams that play well but don't get results. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh God. God. bless you. Go get swabbed. Oh. Oh, we're going to Amsterdam this weekend, guys. Yes, and Luke Mintoff, our buddy, should be taking over the episode. Yep. Um, Luke Grima should be doing it with him, but he's getting yes, an, he's, yes, he's getting an operation done. Oh and fuck! So we'll see, we'll see how he feels. Um, just so you know, they're the two Lukes. Yeah. They're both extremely nasal. <laughs> Literally. And they would both be crippled for the podcast. So that would oh be my god! Yeah, Mintoff like Mintoff's tore his crushes. ACL. Yes, he no? tore his ACL and his meniscus, and he had surgery for both of them. So that's going to be fun. Hell. That would be for match day fifteen, yeah. guys. Like they'll do it un- unless you know we our, no. our flight gets cancelled yes, because of the because of the, the, old, the new variant, the weird variant. Yes. Now the next game. You're done from yours. Yep. I just want to point out January 18th with 10 points, Sidonese 14th on 15 points. Great. The next match was between Spezia and Bologna, which ended 1-0 to Bologna thanks to a Marco Aunautovic penalty in the 83rd minute. Now, this was an action-packed 1-0, with Bologna dominating from the get-go, to be honest. And it saw Musa Barrow hitting the post twice, Arnautovic, I can't pronounce it, Arnautovic also hitting the post once too. This was Soriano's 100th game for the club. Um, Samaro also missed an open header. Um, you know, all these missed chances. And I'm like, damn, how haven't Bologna taken the lead yet? Then I, I did some research only to find out that Bologna have only scored three goals in the first half of any game this season. What? Yeah, they've only scored three in the first half. Um, uh, to be honest, no, I'm not, I'm not surprised. That's an interesting bet. I'm not surprised, one. yeah. And out of which to score in the second half. Yeah. And their goal was a fluke, you know? Bologna, like they were, mm. they were very lucky to get the goal because in the eighty third minute, Arnautovic had a free kick, which he shot as hard as he could, of course, and was <laughs> heading straight into Inzola's face. Like you could see in the replay, you could see Inzola looking at the ball. He's like, "Fuck, no! I was off to Besiktas. I don't give a fuck about Spezia. I'm not getting a concussion right now." Like, and you can see him slowly raising his arm. Like he puts his arm over his face to cover it and excuse my toxic masculinity here he was a bit of a bitch yeah he was a pussy uh, and um, the ball struck his arm and the ref pointed to the spot Arnautovic comfort- converted even though um, Provedel tracked it now Spezia are the fourth team to have conceded more than 30 goals in their first 13 Serie A games Whoa. of a season in the 21st century they joined Parma in 2014-15 Benevento in 2017-18 and Torino in 2020-21 shocking yeah so it goes to show how far they've come under your rich by yeah now before the season started bro I thought that Mihailovic was nuts to choose Arnautovic over Diego Costa Really? Right? Because Bologna had the the, oppo- the possibility to choose between two strikers. Arnautovic ah, yeah, or yeah, Diego yeah, Costa. yeah. Okay. And I was like, this is a no-brainer bringing Diego Costa. And he went for mm. Arnautovic and I was like, hmm, interesting choice. Then I saw Arnautovic in, in the Euros for Austria and I was like, all right, this guy is quite fit still. He, can, mm. he still has what it takes. And then I had seen Diego Costa recently and he looked kind of washed up, to be honest. Not quite as fit as Arnautovic. Fat looked. as well. Yeah, a bit fat, a bit lazy, a bit of a troublemaker, a loudmouth, yeah. too aggressive, you know, half-assed. He does bring a certain quality to the team, yeah. though, much like Zlatan, for example. 
But you know, it's proven to be the right move because Arnautovic has six goals and one assist in 13 matches for Bologna, which is pretty good. While Costa's playing for Atletico Mineiro in Brazil, where he has four goals in 14 games, in oh, a much wow, worse okay. league. So, so this was the way to go. Well done, Mihailovic. I salute you. Salute, salute. Yeah. I did say you should probably get sacked in the last podcast, but salute, salute. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, um, do you think that this game? Should have like anything else should have come out of it. Probably more Bologna goals, man. Yeah, yeah, Probably yeah. more Bologna goals. I think they finally solved that situation that they have a striker that can get goals. So let's get more goals. Get the whole team yeah. involved. Get get some midfielders contributing. Get, get your wingers involved as well. Let's see some Soriano goals. Yeah. Let's see your Solini coming off the bench or back. So goes. Or let's Solini see Dominguez. And well. Yes. Yes, it was nice to see him back. He's let's only see. playing because De Silvestri is out, but he's playing decently. I'm creaming. For a Dominguez long-range strike, we well, haven't seen one in a while, and he's been I playing. I don't think I've ever seen one. He's, he's, he's been playing. With, no, come on, I've seen a Dominguez long-range shot before. I can't recall one. Right? Maybe after the pod, show me one. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's my take. Okay, cool. And um, Bologna are in ninth with twenty-one points, tied with Lazio, Juve, and Fiorentina, the team that was in shambles with their sporting director quitting. <laughs> um, they are in that Conference League spot as it stands. Spezia are 17th with 11 points, one point from safety. They're going down, 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 down. So this has to be the last one because it's definitely the lowest quality game I've ever seen in Serie right in front of me. Cagliari versus Salernitana. Just like Friday night, cancel all my plans and watch this game Fucking we right. were sat in front of the TV of and we were not moving relegation six and pointer Bonazzoli and Pavoletti on my fantasy football so you can imagine how how into did you was. win this week did I did you win did, congrats did. same I'm still first baby same. Woo! I'm, I'm up to third now oh nice respect nice. respect so Cagliari won Salernitana won the battle between Mazzari and Colantuono. Now, although it's only December, both sides are in desperate need of points as they both sit bottom on eight points. Well, previously seven points. So the score was open in the 73rd minute of the match, but believe me, the game was still exciting. Um, and the score was opened by Pavoletti after a Wawello assist. That's what I'm calling him now because he's Italian. Yeah. So... <laughs> Before I used to call him Wawinio, now he's Wawello. <laughs> so, bro. Carboni made quick work of Obi putting the ball through his legs. Pedro picked up the scraps and squared the ball to Pavoletti, who put the ball into the back of the net, and it's his second goal of the season. In the 90th minute, drama, chaos, Cagliari thought that they got a victory over Salernitana, probably the only team they can beat this season. <laughs> But Bonazzoli managed to score after Zortea whipped the ball into the far post. Out of reach for Simi, the commentator said, too high for Simi. And that's like the first time I've ever heard someone say that a ball is too high for Simi ever. Nandez was fucking caught napping. Don't know what he was doing. He was just very unlike him. Wasn't there. Literally very unlike him. He's one one of three good players in that team. Typically, he's very sharp and... Always on the first ball, like always yeah. the first on the ball. Yeah, but 90th minute, he was napping and Bonazzoli charged in and beat a stunned Cranio at his near post. Now, normally you say when a keeper's beat at his near post, the keeper's to blame, but he was not expecting that. Nandes should have been there, Nandes should have been clearing it. Now, with Cagliari needing points so badly and Nandes denying them that, 
What would you do as a manager to Nandes? Yeah, nothing, bro. To one of my best players, I'd be like, I'd be like, unlucky, we have to work on remaining focused, and that's it, man. You wouldn't give him a little slap or something, you wouldn't? Slap or you... No, I wouldn't give him Nandes a slap. I, I don't know, I, I, I look at that team. You're not dropping him, but you need to tell him yeah. off after he did something but, like but that. But it's, it's important that, you know, I mean, there are so many players that are constantly fucking up on these teams, that when your best player is caught napping at the end on a one-off. I don't think Nandes has ever cost Cagliari points before. Maybe you let it slide, you know? Nah, what would you do? You'd fucking no, punch him in the face? No, but I'd give the man a very stern talking to. This is, like, Cagliari aren't playing Champions League, but they're playing Salernitana in a relegation six-pointer. And, and, you know, they could have progressed to 10 points, putting them at uh, at 17th. Or, or something yeah. like that. You are right, addressing to be honest. Them talking to would do would probably have done the trick, and I'm sure he got one from Mansari. To be yeah, honest I'm, with I'm, you, I'm one hundred percent sure. Even now, though he's one of the positive notes on that team for sure. Now the teams sharing points at the end of the game. Teams both on eight points, nineteenth and twentieth. Are Cagliari and Salernitana really the same level? Like really. It surprised me. I, I don't know. I look at the teams and I think that Cagliari are, are better. But um, one thing I, I, I wasn't sure about, I wasn't sure if Cagliari lacked the quality that they typically demonstrate with Joao Pedro, Keita Balde. Granted, they have a few flashes, right? I thought that they, yeah. they'd come out a lot more against Salernitana. Mm-hmm. But Salernitana, in these occasions, play up to their opponent. No, even we when saw they... them play up to Napoli. Napoli. Exactly. In, in the Campania Derby. Yeah. They, they did great. So, yeah, they're... they're how can I say, you know, they're, they're capable of doing something. Salernitana. That's the thing, man. This, this, a loss to Cagliari today would have pretty much cemented their, their death. But they're still alive, man. They're still alive. They're, they're three points off of safety. No, they are, but... They're three points. I, I mean, don't see them beating anyone, though. That's the thing. Me neither. They beat Venezia because Venezia got a red card. Yeah, and that wasn't. It wasn't a It red wasn't card. a red card yeah. at all. I can't see them beating anyone, but who knows, man. Who the fuck knows in this, this game? That's league, why we love this man. game, man. This league. Man, I think, for example, Cagliari have just as good a team as Genoa, for example. I don't think Genoa have a much better team than Cagliari. I think Cagliari have a better team than Genoa. Literally, man. Yeah. Literally. Who else? Who else? Spezia. Spezia. I like their players. It's it's tight. But maybe Cagliari. I'd say, I'd say Cagliari have a better team than Spezia on paper. Maybe. Venezia? Cagliari on paper, probably. On paper, again, Cagliari. On paper, Cagliari. Then they don't have yeah. the cohesion that Venezia do. Exactly. I, I, they just need a bit of direction. Yeah. Yep. I got a question. Uh, I got a question. So the really cool jingle represents the question segment of our podcast. Woo-hoo. Let's do this. You can obviously um, submit your questions on Instagram or on Twitter at Seria Spotlight. Um, you'll probably make it because we don't get that many. Yeah, so, we missed a couple last week. We missed Jamie's last week. He asked a good one. Oh yes, uh, we'll get we'll get to them. Don't worry. Okay. Sorry, so starting Jamie. with at S Rousey, our boy Seb Rousey, who has 
asked us a question every single podcast from the beginning so thank you very much bro we really appreciate you and he doesn't even like football he doesn't so even, even like more so dude, thank you he just you. asks us questions that he's genuinely curious about such as this one which footballer has the coolest name now oh. <laughs> now I think <laughs> now I think we can answer this one at the exact same time bro let's try it right? on, on three Three, two, one. Blaze Matuidi. Okay. (laughs) Fucking Blaze. No, Kevin Lasagna takes the cake. 100%. (laughs) But Blaze is a cool name. Blaze is a fucking cool name. Naming my son Blaze. Blaze Matuidi. Okay, the next question comes from a very good friend of mine, Steve Colero, at Steve Colero on Twitter. Shana Steve. (laughs) He asks two questions. Part one, with Chiesa and McKinney now injured, is it safe to say that Juve's top four objective is well out of reach? I think I can confidently say that Juve won't get top four, man. I think I could confidently say it. It, it, it won't be well out of reach. It'll, it'll go down to some final match days and Juve will get three points where they shouldn't get three points and teams will lose three points where they shouldn't lose three points. But I, I still don't think Juve will, will make top four. I I think that I, w- I wouldn't be too optimistic about it, bro. Um, I wouldn't be too optimistic if I were a Juve fan. Um, it's it's definitely tough. You look at the teams that are fourth in the top four spots right now. There are four powerhouses on their day. Granted, we've seen the slump by Milan, but you know, Milan, Inter, Napoli, and Atalanta on their day beat most teams. Juve, yeah, have been struggling a little bit. Think of this as a transitional period. You exactly. Know, you'll be back next year or maybe the year after. For sure. Maybe you'll have to climb from Serie B, but <laughs> you'll, you'll be back, bro. <laughs> Part two of his question was Do you think that Napoli will now run away with the league after such a performance? No. No. I think I think it'll be long term, it'll be a very tight battle between Napoli and Inter. I think mm. Inter might even get their second Scudetto in a row. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's likely looking the hottest right now from those teams. Definitely, and and there's just too much squad depth to them. Too yeah. much, man. Yeah. I I don't think Napoli will run away with it. No, I think it'll be really tight. The next question comes from Lab Gorilla at Lab Gorilla on Twitter. He's Hello, who's this? My, my betting friend, bro. Okay, yeah. respect. He asks, Are Inter finally moving towards the position that their huge squad warrants? And how are they able to pay for these players despite the supposed financial troubles of their ownership? <laughs> I was going to say something I can't say. Um, I don't know how much they're paying their players, to be honest. But definitely losing Lukaku and Hakimi, who are taking up chunks of their salaries, you know, must balance the books a little bit. But how are they doing financially? Terribly, bro. Inter, Inter. are in great debt. Um, Still, right? Yeah. Um, apparently, according to a report from the 16th of August 2021, Inter must find 340 million in 36 months. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue doing well, but then sales will happen. I think they'll keep worsening their team. How doesn't that lead to a point deduction? If, if, they, if they're 300 and something K in debt, if they have players that they don't afford, if they don't even afford to give their players wages and they're still paying them wages. I'm not sure, man. They won the league with a team they technically didn't afford last That's year. That's fucking bullshit, yeah, they, man. They won the league with Lukaku and Hakim, but they couldn't keep them from over a year. So That's goes, fucking bullshit. Goes to show, like. And, and like, they have to sell Barella, for example. 
<laughs> probably they've just renewed him, so probably yeah, they they could get a nice chunk from him, the full fucking price. Um, I don't know. I, they're they're in fucking trouble. I'd be so worried if I were in yeah. Japan. Yeah, and, and sorry, we, we deviated a bit from his question. What was his question? Um, are Inter finally moving towards the position that their huge squad warrants? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it. I, I think Inter will end up overtaking Milan now, and I, I think the, the battle will primarily be between Napoli and Inter. And this yeah. might be me being a bit of a, a pessimist after, after those two games, but I just see too much quality in their teams, I think. Taking out Zerko and bringing on Correa and still having Lautaro and Sanchez as options is ridiculous. I think their three midfielders, with the exception of the streakiness of Hakan, so let's say Brozovic and Barella are two of the greatest yeah. midfielders in the league. I think their centre-backs, including Di Marco, Bastoni, Devry, Skriniar, and then they've got fucking Darmian and, and Perisic. No, they're they're monsters. They're monsters. Yeah. They they deserve to be in a in a high spot where they don't because they don't have the money, but they do because they have the players. I also wouldn't be surprised if Inter's owners sell. No, I, I think they, I think they any any fucking day now. I heard some now. rumors that apparently the the Newcastle oil dudes want want to invest in Serie A teams and apparently Inter's apparently name was brought they, up apparently they wanted to but apparently they said that it's in a dire situation so they avoided okay. it yeah. okay well they're, they're gonna end up fucking buying 100 million euro players pound players rather to take them from the championship to the to the Premier League because Newcastle yeah. aren't doing well at all yeah, bro they're, they're, they're done all. like where are they in the league? like 19th or 18th Follow us on Premier League Spotlight. <laughs> so the next question comes from my boy Stinker Enade. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing Who your name. Who are these people, man? They're Twitter people. You need to get on Twitter, man. Sorry. I know you're on Twitter every now and then, but you're not really on Twitter. I'm on Twitter when Milan play. So follow him at Stinker D J E N E. He does these fantastic giveaways. You can win you know, amazing things. To be honest with you, I've won before. A few of his giveaways. Okay. Yeah, amazing stuff. IFTV need to give me an Ascoli jersey, by the way. I've entered too many Ascoli yeah. giveaways <laughs> recently. He has a hot take, not a question. Okay. Salamakers might be the worst Milan winger of all time. <laughs> Bro, as soon as his right hand touched that pen to that paper and signed that contract... He's worsened. I I don't know if it's if it's a mental block yeah. or or if it, it's it's the same debate we we had about Audero today. Is he shit and has good spells or is he good and has shit spells? He's a good player, Salamakers, and he's and he's versatile and and he's intelligent. But he gets these periods where nothing comes off for him, man. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. And and he'd actually be playing terribly. Yeah. I think that um, Salamakers is slated kind of unfairly. I think the fact that he receives so much criticism is because of our lack of right-wing depth, which is a problem of the management, not a problem of Salamakers. Salamakers is a 22-year-old, 23-year-old yeah. guy who just came from the Belgian league. He's actually performing very no, well. No, he overperformed. To be honest, and, and I... for considering his history. Um, he does not have the final product, which is very frustrating. And quite often, I, I fucking slam my phone, I fucking bite yeah. my remote, you know, I bang my head on the wall. But 
fucking eat my ass. But that's not his role, you know? I mean, if, if he adds it to his game, he'd be a much better player. But right now, he's kind of a systematic plug-in player, you know, a lot of energy, attacking, yeah. defending. It, it okay. sucks when he's not performing, because I think when he performs, he's one of the most important players in the pitch. I, I said he was more important than Brahim when he was on form this season. Yeah. I thought he was super and I think he can still be super, but I don't think it helps that that the Milanella fan base can be the way they are sometimes, and and they criticize him to his face and offend him to his yeah. face in, in in the page. That shouldn't do good things for his confidence. We're a team, and we should help this guy up rather than slating him. The worst Milan winger I've seen is Chetri. By the way, no one will be Chetri. Mine, I think, is Erbi Wilson if he qualifies as a winger. Erbi Wilson qualifies as every single role. <laughs> literally, you know, Trequartista, winger, midfielder, no problem. Mm. He fits it. He was co- so consistent, the most consistently shit player I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Um, our next question comes from Andrew Sant Fournier, ASF. Santi hey, on Instagram, Shana Sant. Santi, I saw him in Valletta the other day. Shana Sant, I saw him in Valletta. Spoke to him, or you saw him and like? No, I was running late him. for a meeting. How yeah. rude! Yeah, totally exposed. Mala. He asks, "Is Venezia just overperforming, or is it actually sustainable?" Eh, uh, good question. I think uh, it's sustainable, personally. I think so too. Um, they have good players. I don't know enough about them, man. I, I, I say, but I only watch the playoffs and I only watch the the end of that campaign. I must say, I'm very impressed by them this this season. I think injuries might might affect them moving forward. Um, they've played on the level of Milan. They've played on the level of Inter this year. They have. Um, this is a tough one. They have these new American owners that that seem to be really passionate about football. I think that this is sustainable. I think this project is a long term one. I don't think it's a fluke that they're in Serie. I think this is, they're here to stay. I agree. I think what's not sustainable is not having experience on the pitch. And I think when they find themselves in dire situations, like for example, they've got these tough games coming up. Now they've got they've got Atalanta, Juve, Hellas. Mm-hmm. I think if maybe you toss in a man with more experience over there, maybe they'll get away with a point here and there. Or maybe mm-hmm. when there's a deciding match against Spezia towards the end of the season, having a Ferrari at centre back would yeah. would help the team more. So I'd say it's sustainable, but they need more experience in their team. Yeah, and that'll come. You know, having young players is always a good idea. It's the whole. Um, Bonjour. The Gazidis approach, the invest in young players, sell them for a profit and continue mm-hmm. improving the mm-hmm. team, invest in your team. I think that's kind of what they're going for. I, I see it as a sustainable project. Um, bro, one of your friends, Jack Motivates, asked a question. Yes, yes, Jack, you fucking legend. He asks, is the comeback season for the underdogs? <laughs> Jack. Is the comeback season for the underdogs, bro? Jack, what the fuck is the comeback season for the underdogs? Is the comeback season for, for the, the underdogs? Jack, I can safely say that the comeback season is for the underdogs. I agree. I would agree. Thank you very much for <laughs> Thank the question. Thank you for the question, uh, Jack. Jamie Dent on Instagram asks us, thoughts on Mertens and his role in the current context? Uh, not many better players to fit that no there isn't a better player to fit this this role in the current circumstance I mean you get a player that is curated to play in the Napoli team yeah, yeah. they're all time leading top goal scorer he 
plays seam- seamlessly with all the players around him, particularly Insignia. There's no better player they could be replacing Ozyman with. It's a tried and tested system. Granted, he's getting older, but so are many players in this area, and they're still fucking great. Yeah, and he's he's shown that he has these moments of magic, the, this technique from shooting mm. from afar, this eye for goal. He's still he's still pretty much very useful. For sure, and with Ozyman's injury, he'll be useful for quite some time now, around around three months. So. He'll keep racking up them goals and he'll keep getting you points on Fanta, Jim, unless you want to do a little summon cheeky over here, bro. You can do a little summon. So thank you very much, guys, for tuning in. Um, little we summon. have been your hosting Jake. Who? The Oracle. And Matt. Um, you can follow us on our socials at Seria Spotlight, particularly on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you very much if you've made it this far. Um, Special thank you to all the new people who asked us questions today, particularly Jake's Twitter friends and Jack. Thank you for for your question, brother. <laughs> and we'll see you guys. Well, our our colleagues slash friends will see you guys next no, no, week. No, no, we'll see them next week. Oh yeah, Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday, exactly. Wednesday, well, Thursday. Mid, mid-week mayhem, bro. Mid-week mayhem, baby. Mid-week mayhem. So we'll see you guys soon and tune in.